Welcome to the Turtle Shell Therapy Institute, a podcast made to help you learn how to feel more comfortable inside and outside of your shell. Hello, I'm your host, James Nihundley. Today, we have Crystal Fagenbush joining us. Crystal is a licensed professional counselor and licensed addiction counselor, an emotionally focused therapy supervisor, Colorado's first certified emotionally focused therapist of color, as well as co-founder of Solid Foundation Individual and Couples Therapy. Solid Foundation aims to provide compassionate, culturally competent therapy to individuals, couples, and families. Crystal is with us today to talk about her work and cultural competence in therapy. Crystal, thank you so much for being here. Hey, James. Thanks for having me. Well, of course. No, I I love hearing about your passion and your work too, because I know the cultural competence piece is really important in your work. And I've just learned so much from you just in getting to know you and being on committees together. Um, I'd love to start by just talking about what what is Solid Foundation? Um, how did it come to be? What do you do there? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Solid Foundation is a practice. It's just a little private practice. I actually own the business with my best friend and business partner, Lindsay Davis, who's also a licensed professional counselor and EFT therapist. And um, we started the practice, I think we are in our sixth year, seventh year. I just totally blanked out. I I was just talking about this the other day. And I, um, so we've been doing it for a little while. Um, we were really close in graduate school and um, we were uh, working for another private practice and um, things didn't end well there. And so Lindsay and I have always had each other and we started our practice um, straight out of that experience and thankfully had each other. And um, having the partnership has really allowed us to feel safe and connected and secure. Like we have, you know, we have that attachment, right, to each other Um, in a way that like really allowed us to feel more confident as, um, you know, business owners, as women, as therapists. Also been really wonderful to support each other through life changes. Um, You know, when I had my baby, Lindsay was there to hold down the practice and when she had her baby, she, you know, I was there to hold down the practice. So it's been nice to be able to kind of share that together. Um, it makes business and financial pieces a little bit more complicated sometimes. Um, but we do, thankfully, you know, a lot of Lindsay's work um, has been really like um, creating a lot of structure, like for how we track everything. And so I'm really lucky to have her. Um, she's, you know, so it's it's kind of been a, like through her work the detail that she's like put in um it's allowed us to really have like an equitable practice so that it doesn't feel like you know there we try to do everything we can to um you know get a hold of any like uh feelings of resentment that might come up if we were um you know as we run the business together so we make things equitable we put you know we get out what we put in um, and so that's really created a lot of structure that's really safeguarded our friendship and uh, the business yeah. as well. I was wondering about it because I know for a lot of people, myself included, it one can be really scary to go into private practice. So it's nice to go in with 
with somebody, but also it can be really scary to go in with someone you're close to. Mm -hmm. um, so that's awesome that you and Lindsay have figured out how to make that work. And yeah. sounds like really open, transparent communication. There has to, it. it's, it hasn't always been transparent, but we try, right? Like, so we yeah. have had a lot of, you know, conversations that aren't always easy. Um, we're always, I think what helps us is that we're always looking out for each other, sometimes to our mm -hmm. own, our own detriment. Um, so we always have to be kind of like checking in with each other to make sure that we're both getting what we need. And that has been, that's a lot of work for sure. Um, yeah, but it's been good and it's been worth it. Well, nice. And yeah, and I mean, six, seven years is a long time to be in business. So it's a long time. And I remember hearing, you know, when we first started businesses fail, a lot of small businesses fail within the first like three to five years. So when we hit the five year mm -hmm. mark, we were like, ah, oh, we can breathe, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And we weathered COVID. We're, you know, but it's really, it's been really nice to be able to have each other. Good. Yeah. Good. And you both practice EFT. Is that right? Yes. Yes, we do. We both practice EFT. It's been really nice because when we work with one person or a couple, we're able to kind of say like, hey, if you're interested, you know, we have the option that you can work with someone in-house, you know, for couples mm -hmm. or individual, you know, depending on what we're seeing. Um, so we always refer, you know, have referrals for people outside of our business and being able to refer to each other has also been nice. I know some of our clients really like that, that we can communicate easily when we need to. And that collaboration is so important, especially if you yeah. have an individual therapy happening at the same time as a couple's therapy. Yes. I just think it's essential to have that communication between therapists. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. And and I know, you know, we both know that we're on the same page with EFT and couples work. And even when we're not, we're able to yeah. kind of talk it through and make sense of, of what we're seeing and how to help our clients. Yeah. Well, I've talked a little bit about emotionally focused therapy on the show before, but, mm -hmm. but would you mind just giving like a description of it and what, what it can look like? Yeah. So what I, so what I tell my client, so what I tell people when they're calling um, and I kind of give them the spiel, I talk about, um, you know, emotionally focused therapy is um, attachment based. So we use um, the science of attachment to make the sense of romantic relationships. So, you know, a lot of folks might know a little bit about attachment with, um, you know, children or babies and caregivers or parents. And, um, you know, when, when babies feel safe, when toddlers feel safe, they can explore their world, right? They know that they have a caregiver that is always going to be available, that they can always come back to. And so they might feel safe and just kind of even like at the basic level, like, you know, exploring the playground, right? They know their caregiver is going to be there waiting for them. When they don't feel like they have a safe, secure caregiver, um, they feel more anxious, things feel more chaotic. Um, they're not sure if they're going to be able to get their needs met. Um, so we use that, you know, attachment science to talk about adult romantic relationships, which is obviously very different. Um, you know, romantic relationships, partners are meeting each other's needs. And that's very different with a child and a caregiver relationship. With romantic partners, you know, when when we're feeling safe and secure and connected to our partner, and when we feel like we can have difficult conversations, uh, we can talk about things that feel really vulnerable or scary <clears throat> or things that we're afraid to tell anyone else. We feel safe to be out in the world. Even, even yeah. and this is so interesting, right? Like, especially working, I work with a lot of Chicano couples, 
um, couples of color and interracial couples, you know, so even when it feels like the world outside is scary and chaotic and unsafe, like that's the reality for all, for a lot of folks in the world. Yeah. Um, and in the U S especially right now, um, when they have a safe, secure partner to go home to, they are more settled. They're more present. They're more able to um, be engaged in the world, to be curious about the world or themselves or their partner. Um, you know, even the feeling that like, even though the world out there is really scary and chaotic, I can come home to a partner that I feel safe and secure with and I can talk about the story with them. Um, when you don't have that, right? Like it's, um, it's really hard. We feel really unsettled. Um, we feel really unsafe. Everything feels unsafe. Um, we can't have difficult conversations with our partners. Um, one analogy that I like to use with my couples all the time that they, that most of them seem to find helpful is like, if we have like a shared bank account and if we have five dollars left in our shared bank account and we order a twenty dollar pizza we are in trouble right like we're gonna overdraw we're gonna go we're gonna have fees it's gonna be bad there's gonna be a lot of anxiety it's gonna create other problems right but if we have two thousand dollars in our bank account in our shared bank account we order a twenty dollar pizza it's not a big deal Right. So like relationships are very much like that. When we have that connection and safety and something happens in the relationship, we can work through it. Um, obviously, in the name Emotionally Focused Therapy, there's a lot of emotions. So we talk about emotions and emotions as information. Um, I also draw on a lot of work from that I've done with like DBT <clears throat> and with addictions counseling to kind of make sense of like emotions as information. Emotions are telling us about our needs, they're telling us about our longings. And so EFT, you know, really privileges that and helps us get really curious about emotions um, to make sense of them. What I also love about EFT is that it helps us understand our adaptive coping strategies. And I say adaptive like really intentionally, right? Because when we are younger, we might develop strategies for dealing with our family or the world around us, right? Like some folks might struggle with addictions um, to substances or behaviors when they're really young <clears throat> yeah. um, or even things like perfectionism, right? Like we don't always talk about perfectionism being an adaptive coping strategy, um, even like perfectionism, right? And so if, you know, they do well in school, if, you know, it, it might help them get positive attention or maybe it helps them stay under the radar or, you know, they get to be the good child or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. That strategy is really adaptive when they're younger. And then as adults in relationship, um, it's not as effective anymore because then it might start to look like, um, you know, perfectionism is often about, you know, reducing anxiety, but it can also look very controlling. Right. So it might be controlling of my partner, um, controlling of my partner's emotions or, um, you know, controlling the environment around me or my kids, right? And so I love EFT because I can make sense of that without, in a really non-judgmental way. Like, of course, like you're just trying to reduce your anxiety. You're trying to, um, you know, cope with these messages that you received from a young age or, um, you know, cope with this belief about yourself about not being good enough, right? And that it comes out looking like that. 
but your partner doesn't really see that part. They don't see you struggling inside. They just see the part that feels controlling. And so that's where EFT helps us like make sense of these behaviors and how they show up in the relationship. Um, so we can slow things down for folks. So that was a lot. <laughs> Let me know if any of that made sense yeah. or not. Like I just kind of find that myself made, going off. That made so much sense too. And I like how you put it because what it, what it really is doing, I mean, you, you spoke to so many important things. I mean, as humans, especially, I mean, I can't speak to other countries, but particularly I think in American culture, and I think I see it in a lot of other cultures, um, like I can speak to like my Irish and Catholic upbringing, like this idea of being self-sufficient is gotten to like a really toxic place, I think, in a lot of cultures and family mm -hmm. cultures specifically, like we do, we're communal and we need, we need at least one person to feel like we can rely on, has our back, is there for us. And it does. We found that it just alleviates so much of the stress and depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. And EFT, I found, is a really great way to organize it, like you said, in a non-blaming way. Like, of course, you've always done this. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the clients I work with, they're utilizing strategies that they developed in childhood that just it's not working in adulthood. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And they're doing that. Like, if we really believe, which I, I really do believe, and sometimes it's hard that we're all doing the best we can. Yeah. Right. And if my clients are doing the best that they can, how do I make sense of that? Yeah. Yeah. And I like to, when you talk about perfectionism, it is mm -hmm. seen as this like very negative thing that we judge people for having. And mm -hmm. of course, a lot of us developed it because we live in a society and a culture where not making mistakes is considered very valuable mm -hmm. and usually will keep you safe mm -hmm. or at least somewhat like valued in a relationship mm -hmm. where people aren't going to get like abandon you or leave you. Yeah. Well, and sometimes it's seen in a negative way. Right. But then also there are some careers or fields where it's really privileged, right. Where we're looking for point. people to be perfectionists, yeah. right. Like those yeah. people get promoted, they become CEOs. Right. And, um, you know, we can see kind of like how like the the perfectionism can kind of impact the whole workspace, right? And and people that doesn't feel good. Um, but sometimes people it, because so many people get um, uh, what's the word? They get um, like uh, validated for it. They get a lot of praise for it. That's the word. You know, yes, some people get yes. praised for it, or we do look at it on the flip side of like, oh, that's bad. Like you're, you know, it's a negative thing to be right. But can we just kind of like slow down and just like accept it and really yeah. make sense of why we do it? I noticed on your website too, and like you mm -hmm. said, I brought you on here to talk about cultural competence. Yeah. I, I'm curious how that, you mentioned it a little bit when you had mentioned working with, uh, with people who are Chicana. Mm -hmm. um, what does it look like in your work? How do you incorporate cultural competency? So a big part of what I do and, and part of and part of my spiel or my elevator speech, um, I the work that I do and the couples that I work with, ideally, like the, the couples or the clients that feel like the best fit, we are talking about how systems of oppression imp impact them. Um, so for a lot of my couples, especially my my brown couples, we're talking about how um, how racism is impacting them, how classism is impacting them. For my queer folks, for um, women, we're talking about how misogyny, patriarchy, 
how that is impacting them. You know, we're talking about how, especially in interracial relationships where one partner is white and the other partner is a person of color, um, you know, we're talking about how systems of oppression are impacting them differently. Um, so a lot of the times with my couples, you know, we're slowing down to make sense of like, um, you know, where did, where, tell me about how you grew up. Tell me about your experience in the world, right? Like, um, tell me about how that impacts the way you show up in your relationship, right? Like when I'm working with um, Chicano couples, with Chicano clients, we're talking about how, um, you know, what are the messages that have been kind of handed down to them about their, their brownness, their blackness, like how it is impacting the way that they show up in relationship or the way they feel safe or unsafe in the world. Right. And even with my white clients, like, so I give this spiel because I, you know, I work with white people too. Um, and with my white clients, you know, sometimes they will say like, well, that doesn't really impact me. Right. And then we get in the office and we talk about how they learned about, um, you know, how they are really stuck in grind culture, how they're stuck in perfectionism, judgment, um, perfectionism, right? Like how, and we can slow down and kind of make sense of, or stoicism, right? Like how they weren't allowed to be emotional when they were growing up. And so let, you know, let's slow down and talk about like how white supremacy also impacts white people too. Yes. Right. To make sense of why they learned to show up the way that they do. So, so it, it, you know, white supremacy is impacting all of our clients. And when we pretend that it doesn't, we're doing a huge disservice to everyone. Right. And so I love working with my clients of couple because, um, you know, we're able to slow down and make sense of that. Right. Like I'm able to sit, especially with my um, Chicana women, we're talking about like the messages they received about family and their roles in the family. And, you know, the nice thing is, there are a lot of things they don't have to explain to me because I have experienced them, right? I grew up with that. Yeah. And at the same time, like I always tell my folks, like we may have very different experiences at the same time, right? Like, you know, I've had clients who grew up in the North side and I grew up in Arvada and, you know, in Colorado, right? And so yeah. our six you know, I grew up with like hunting culture, you know, like a, yeah. a brown Mexican girl in hunting culture, you know, they grew up very different in the North side, right? Like, so, you know, being able to kind of like slow down and like, there are things that are similar about us and, and that I can kind of guess in your experience, but also there are things that are really, that are maybe really different. And, you know, I might not always know that or, um, you know, identify that. So like, let me be really curious with you and please, you know, correct me if I'm getting it wrong or if I'm way off base, right? But like, I, for me, like the cultural competence piece is always being curious always being willing to hear that my conjectures are wrong, right? Always like, I want to like, I want to get it right. I want to, I want my clients to feel like I'm getting them. And so for me, it's always about staying curious and being really aware of like my privilege and my culture and, um, you know, being really open to conversations with my clients that make make me uncomfortable or might make them uncomfortable and being able to sit in that together. I love that. And the cultural conversation, it's so important. I think I think we're making some headway in the therapy world, but there's still a long way to go. But even in greater society, that idea that you were talking about, like we can be from maybe a similar culture, but culture could also be our lived experience. 
mm-hmm. and that can be different too even if for the same race um i know for me as a queer person i had a i've met people who had very different queer experiences there's maybe some similarities and there's some things that are just part of the culture but like i grew up in a rural a rural area versus my husband who grew up here in a more urban area mm-hmm. um it's just a completely different experience mm-hmm. yeah and i think we when we make you know, when we think we know someone's experience that, you know, that we're like totally convinced and we're not growing as much. And I've been guilty of it too, right? Like, you know, I've thought that I had someone really figured out in the office and they were like, no, actually that's like way off. Right. And, and, you know, we always need to be, um, you know, kind of checking ourselves and staying curious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The curiosity is so important, um, especially, you know, also to your point about how white supremacy and the patriarchy, it hurts everyone. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when we think of culture and the negative impacts of white supremacy and the patriarchy, we we only really think about disenfranchised groups. Mm-hmm. But like you said, like white people are also impacted by white supremacy. Men are also impacted by the patriarchy. It teaches these very negative things that then we have to live with. Like perfectionism, I think, is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, it creates so much anxiety and so many issues, but it is a part of the patriarchy and white supremacy. Oh, absolutely. Right. When I have, you know, when we're working with folks who like their sole value feels like it's like, and their worth is like tied up in their work. Right. Like, or, um, you know, being a provider or, you know, the titles that they receive, like that's, that's not good for anyone. Right. Like that feels really good when you're on top, but like what happens when you make a mistake, mm-hmm. things come crumbling down pretty fast. And that's what I see a lot with my clients specifically that are white is that whole, like trying to maintain, what if I fall? What if I make a mistake? And does mm-hmm. that mean that I'm going to lose everything? The stakes are so high. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is just a, it's, it's still relevant, but, you know, also a completely different experience from people who are like really experiencing oppression and like Mm -hmm. trying to make it, but the system isn't made for them. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I mentioned it in the intro, but like definitely want to highlight the fact that it's, we're in 2023 and you're the first certified emotionally focused therapist of color. And Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you're the only, not the only so that was two fight. years yeah, but, ago right but it's not much better two years ago right yeah. like we have um alex avila in the spring is he in the spring no he's in denver metro we have alex avila okay. yeah, yeah. Right. got yeah. certified um joy ewing is the first african-american therapist to get certified in colorado um liliana balin right so there's only i think there are yeah. only four of us right and we know each other well in colorado so even just like looking at right like a lot of the work you know i i'm a supervisor you know i really love working with um their eft therapists of color right whether they want to get certified or not i don't really believe that we have to get certified in eft to prove to anyone that we're a good eft therapist and especially for folks of color i know a lot of folks of color in protest of some of the things that they um that they've experienced in the iceft community and the eft community um in protest of um, you know some of the things that we haven't been able to gain yet in the community 
a lot of them are refusing to get certified. And so I totally appreciate that. And um, I, but I, and I love working with EFT therapists of color, whether or not they want to get certified to feel comfortable in the model and especially in a model that they haven't always seen themselves or their clients in, right? Like when they have questions about how their client's culture shows up in the room, they haven't gotten answers that have been helpful to them or their clients. And so I like working with, especially with therapists of color to feel comfortable with EFT, to, to take the parts of EFT that feel like is really helpful for them, right? Like the, the bone, I love EFT. I think the model is really wonderful. And it's not, that's not what makes us a good therapist, right? Like right. our lens is what makes us good therapists, our view of the world, ourselves as human beings, right? And so especially for therapists of color, like I want to bring that, I want to really help them um, be themselves and feel com comfortable and confident being themselves in sessions, right? So that they can go and do the work with their clients and make EFT work for them. Well, it makes me think of what you were saying earlier, right? With our partners, like our, we're going to feel safer in the world if we have a person that we can go to and just open up to. And so a therapist in particular really needs to be that person. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes not to say that a therapist who doesn't have a similar shared lived experience as their client can't provide good therapy, but I think you're able to just use yourself in a different way. That's more effective. You're able to mm -hmm. connect more, create that safety, show some actual understanding. Like you were saying, sometimes you don't even have to like, have your client explain anything they can just mm -hmm. tell that you get it mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that piece feels huge right like i um you know i get like you know like what you were saying like you don't have to share all of your identities with a the therapist but sometimes it feels really good to sit across from a therapist who maybe even looks like you right to know like especially like as a as a brown chicana like growing up like i didn't see any professional i didn't see a lot of professional Chicanas in the community and you know even now like when I look when I looked for my own therapist I really had to look for a long time it took me a couple of years before I even like reached out to therapists to see if we might be a good fit um you know and and it's hard too right because there are only so few of us like I know most of the Chicana therapists in the community in Colorado Right. Yeah. So it's like, who's going to be my therapist? Right. And so yeah. even like as a, as a client, right. Who's maybe not as connected to the therapist community, right. Like they're going, they're looking on psychology today or looking online and not seeing anyone. Right. But then sometimes they don't even know that like we have Latinx therapy.com is like a great directory. Um, oh, nice. Right. We have the, um, what is it called? The, the queer therapists of color directory um yeah. right like we have like these other spaces yeah. that like like i've left psychology today because i think that they can the organization can be pretty racist right and yeah. so like you're not gonna find me on there right so so it is hard right and so a lot of times like you know clients will come and say like i've only worked with white therapists and it, it hasn't felt great or even if it did go well like i feel like they got me to as far as we could go and now i need yeah. someone else right um and that's not to say that I haven't had, um, you know, that I'm a, the best therapist for every Chicana ther client out there, right? Like, it still may not be a good fit. And that's the tragedy too, right? Is like, yeah. 
Yeah. Just, you know, that there isn't more variety, that there aren't more ther- people who look like them doing therapy to find a fit that feels right. So then I often get couples that are like, well, I was looking for a client who meets these criteria and has availability and you're the closest I could get. Right. And so like, oh yeah. man, like that, that must be so hard for you. Like, I feel so bad for you that like, like I'm the closest you could get that sucks. That's not fair. Yeah. Right. Like just even like immediately, like the, the grief or the loss that they feel just coming in and meeting with me and like, yeah, that's, I mean, I think I'm pretty great, but I understand. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, Yeah. I'm the best. I'm the closest you could get to that. I'm so sorry. Right. So yeah, go ahead. Oh, you're just going to say, no, this is just such an important conversation. I talk about it at at the university that I teach at quite a bit, no matter what class I'm teaching. I usually have a soapbox around the industrialization of the mental health field and how that is creating barriers to access Mm -hmm. because the mental health field, it is for those of you listening who aren't in the field, it it, kind of like Crystal and I are talking, it's not super diverse, Mm -mm. which is kind of ironic given like what our whole purpose is as professionals, but it's not very diverse because systemic injustices will make it hard to even get into a program. And then where mental health is turned or that I've seen my whole soapbox about the industrialization of the field is like, now it's like, once you get your master's degree, now a lot of different therapies, not just EFT are, are asking you to pay more money to get trained, to get certified. And it's just mm-hmm. for a lot of people, especially people of diff, uh, of color and other people from disenfranchised groups, just getting the master's degree was a huge hurdle. Or just getting and a bachelor. pay more. Yeah, or just getting a bachelor's. Just and now you want me to pay degree. all this extra money mm-hmm. and not for these trainings, or I'm going to have to take off work. and Or even just to do an internship. Yeah. Right? An oh, yeah, unpaid internship. Like, yeah, and in social work, I don't know if this is true for LPCs as well, but um, we're paid in education. It's, it's not common to get paid as a... Mm-hmm. as a social work intern mm-hmm. so we're already paying money and like i couldn't work my last year of mm-hmm. graduate school i had to quit my job and move in with my great-grandmother and my great aunt mm-hmm. because i couldn't i couldn't do it all mm-hmm. yeah and thankfully i have that privilege and those resources but not everybody does exactly exactly right like getting you know we're talking you were looking for a black and brown therapist indigenous therapist you got to get through graduate school right so you gotta you finish high school yeah. you gotta get to bachelor's or uh, get to undergrad Uh, just get a bachelor's degree right so you have to be able to do that period which is enough of a hurdle student loans Mm -hmm. right i was just looking at my student loan payments i have more than paid off my student loans but i'm still paying them because of interest right so that's money that i'm not able to put into investments right it could be making money Mm -hmm. for me it's making money for Naviant. Um, you get into a graduate for then, then you even have the, you know, to believe that you can get into a grad school program, you have to know which okay. programs to get into. Thankfully, you know, I was, a, I was applying at like the disaster psychology program at DU thinking that it was a K-Crep program. It's not. And thankfully I had a nice white lady, an older white lady, social, no LPC who said to me, make sure it is a K-Crep certified program at the very least, mm. if you want to be an LPC, right? And so, um, you know, I didn't even have like co-amps on my register then. Um, and so I, you know, had to have someone even like someone, a mentor or someone just even tell me those basic things, right? And then finally found a, pay, a K-Crep program, dude, my graduate program, 
thank goodness I had mentors. I had black and brown mentors who helped me hang in there to deal with institutional racism in graduate school. Then I had to do an unpaid internship that lasted for a year. So, and, and when I went to grad school, I had a full-time job as a case manager, and then I became, uh, I did an administrative, not administrative, a different role in a mental health community, uh, mental health center, uh, full-time, right? And then I was also an apartment manager. So I was doing, working two jobs and going to graduate school, right? Made myself sick, had to oh, deal gosh. with like health problems, right? To finally get through it and then find a job and at the time i couldn't even get a job as a therapist i had to you know they would take me as a case manager which i'd already done for five plus years and was already burned out on right so then i had to find a private practice right and a lot of um a lot of folks you know if you haven't if you don't know someone who started a small business like it feels so intimidating okay. right so there are so mm -hmm. many steps along the way where black and brown folks indigenous folks could be injured yeah right and oh, yeah. and and not come back i you know there were plenty of people in undergrad and grad school that didn't finish <sighs> right because there were just so many steps along the way where you could lose people and we don't do a good job of of taking care and supporting those folks oh absolutely that was my whole rant too so feel free to no like totally <laughs> agree because then that's even the piece too where whether you're a social worker, LPC, LMFT, there's at least two years where you're unlicensed and you need someone to oversee you. Mm -hmm. And if you're lucky, maybe your employer will provide that. But I know I had to pay because mm -hmm. my employer said they would provide it and then I got the job and then they didn't provide it. Mm -hmm. So then I had to go find and pay for that. But then that's other money too that you would have to pay. And typically unlicensed mm -hmm. therapists, you have to like, make your dues so you tend to get mm -hmm. paid less because you're not licensed mm -hmm. and like so there's just all of these hurdles and injury mm -hmm. that can happen on the journey mm -hmm. so that's why it's really hard to find diverse therapists mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely i mean to, just to finish all of that you have to have a lot of privilege if you don't yeah and support right so like even if you do have the privilege like not having the support is really hard um yeah 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 well you were talking about it a little bit too but what, what would supervision look like with you with um with other eft therapists um, yeah so i do um so with eft supervision i love um i love eft supervision um so i work with therapists who are, I don't do licensure supervision because I have, I'm just not in a place in my career where I can support someone who needs what I think unlicensed therapists really need. Um, yeah. And so I just do the EFT supervision, which is great because my favorite part of supervision is conceptual, conceptualizing the client, right? So I, that is a huge piece of the work that I do with my EFT therapist. We are spending a lot of time really understanding their couple understanding each partner in the couple making sense of their attachment style making sense of their adaptive strategies we talk about how systems of oppression may be showing up in their relationship um and that part like i, I just love that part so working with me like we spend a lot of time even just conceptualizing the partners in a relationship um and you know 
we go back and forth through that all the time. So I might say like, hey, slow down. What do you know about this client's, um, you know, family immigration story? You know, tell me about that. Well, you know, was it traumatic? How, you know, what kind of trauma came up for that for their parents or their grandparents? What was it like? You know, where did they grow up? Um, what was their experience being a person of color or, um, you know, in their, you know, in their class, um, in their social class, like, you know, let's really like dig in and understand them and make sense of how that shows up in the relationship, right? Do they feel like they need to get bigger? Do they feel like they need to hide themselves in the relationship or part of themselves? Um, so I love doing that, right? Like, um, I like helping people really get clear on the tango. Um, in EFT, we use the tango and the moves in the tango to um, create enactments in our couples. And so enactments are like how we believe change happens in EFT, right? And so um, helping my folks really get clear on the tango in EFT and with their couples and you know how to do it in a way that feels good to them and supportive to them and makes sense to them and allows them to be creative and curious with it. So I really like to um, be creative and curious with my folks. I really don't like to say things like, you know, this is how we do it the right way, right? Like, this is yeah. the right way. There may be times when we say, okay, this is what's expected if you want to get certified. Um, and how can we make it yours, right? Like, how can you, yeah. you know, within this, like, be you and honor your clients at the same time? Yeah. I like that a lot too. And like you said, like you were saying before, you know, you don't necessarily have to get certified in EFT, but it's a good framework. And mm -hmm. I think that's even true. What a lot of EFT practitioners would say the best way to do emotionally focused therapy is to do it your way. Mm -hmm. So I like that you provide a, a platform for people to figure that out. What is their way? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what makes us good therapists, right? Like it's not trying mm -hmm. to do it the way Sue Johnson does it or the way our, you know, our trainers do it. It's about like finding the way that feels authentic to you and allows you to show up and be you and your clients pick up on that. Yeah. Right. Like that's what they connect to. And I want to ask too, kind of what your journey was like to get to, just to show people mm -hmm. how much energy and time you've put into this model so like you really know what you're oh. talking about but yeah what is what does the journey look like to get to where you are yeah so i did my externship my eft externship in 2015 and then i did i started core skills right after that and um so that was when i first started i had some bad experiences immediately after that hmm um, in supervision. And so I kind of laid low for a little while. So I eventually I found my supervisor, Pam Semler, and I am always telling people how wonderful she is. Um, she's a wonderful supervisor, very patient, very gentle and, and, and able to give you like really great feedback. And she's helped me go over the years. So, you know, found Pam and she helped me, you know, through, you know, the fallout of some bad experiences in EFT supervision. And then she helped me, helped us like, um, you know, in the process of like, you know, getting her business settled. And then she helped me, you know, when I had my daughter, you know, and I was foggy for a year, you know, 
foggier for you. It's still kind of foggy. But, um, you know, being able to, like, feel supported by her and have a really great relationship with her has really helped me feel more confident in EFT and and really feel more confident in supporting other people in EFT. Um, so then I got certified two years ago. So that was 2021, um, you know, during the pandemic. Um, so that was kind of interesting, right? Because it was actually my couples were both over for my certification were both over um, Zoom. So that was actually kind of convenient to be able to like record over Zoom. I could, rec- it was easier to record yeah. my sessions, right? Rather than set up like a camera in the room. Um, Cause you have and, to submit videos. You have to submit two right? videos, a certification, yes. like a stage one and a stage two tape um, okay. and got certified. And then immediately started working toward becoming a supervisor so that I could support um, EFT therapists of color in the community. I had already been kind of helping other therapists, um, you know, find their certification tapes and feel confident in their EFT. And so, you know, being a, becoming a supervisor kind of made it a little bit more official. Um, and so that their hours with me would count. Um, so that was good. And then I became a certified supervisor earlier this year. So nice. yeah, yeah. That's kind of been my journey. It's been a, it's been a felt, it's felt like a long one. I know some folks have taken longer and some folks are able to do it really quickly. So it's really just like so different for everyone. And, you know, cause we're human beings and things come up. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is, it's a lot of time. I mean, yeah. Four day externship core skills is what, like <clears throat> I did it. Now I can't remember. But it's a, several hours. It's a few weekends, like six different weekends. Core is skills right? is five yeah. weekends. Five weekends. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And then the eight hours of supervision, the videos, mm-hmm. meeting with a supervisor. What do you have to do to, I guess I don't know what you do to become a supervisor. Um, you have, oh, now I don't remember. I mean, it. if I'm being honest, it felt a little less rigorous than becoming certified. Um, traditionally there's a waiting period where folks, you know, have to wait in a year after they become certified to start the supervision, to become a supervisor in training. I was able to, um, fast track that because there were so few therapists of color in the community and I had the experience okay. to be able to support them. Um, oh, nice. so you kind of just like, it's, it's similar, you know, you need two tapes showing yourself doing supervision um you know and they're looking for specific criteria it's not as specific as it is with the certificate original certification so they're looking for like very specific things in the two videos yeah. yeah so it's it's not as specific but they want to make sure that you're doing you know that you are um you, know, you have a good relationship with your supervisee that you're helping them learn the model that you know the model that you're helping them make sure that they know the model um yeah, and then you have, um, you know, you have two supervisors that you're working with and seeing regularly. I think it's eight eight hours total, maybe ten hours total of supervision of soup soup of soup. Um, and I and then you have to write um, basically an essay about your um, your EFT. Okay. Yeah, like the, your the your beliefs and values around EFT, and um, you know, to make sure that you understand how to be a good EFT supervisor. 
It's still a process. Yeah, they definitely want to vet you and make sure. Like it is. It is. It took me two years. It took me almost. It took me about two years to get it done. Nice. Yeah. Well, good. No, I could definitely see too. I mean, with all that time and effort, like I could, Mm -hmm. like yeah, definitely being proud of that. And and again, too, I can see too why it's hard to find more therapists who are certified or supervisors and not just EFT, but even other therapies. Like I know EMDR too. Like Mm -hmm. it's there isn't a lot of diversity there either. And for the similar reasons, like it's just a lot of time and effort. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, how can people get a hold of you or where can they find you if they want to learn more about you? So if folks want to um, get a hold of me, the best way to do it is through email. It's just crystal at solidfoundationtherapy.com um, because voicemail is really hard for me when i'm got a four-year-old for another snack (laughs) home so email (laughs) is the best way to do it i'm only in the office a few days a week right now because she's so little and i try to um, be in childcare is so expensive um so email is definitely the best way to do it nice yeah well crystal thank you so much for being here and just sharing like your knowledge and your expertise um i would definitely love to have you on again because i think cultural competence and therapy and really anything else. Like, I mean, you, you're, we didn't get to talk about the addiction piece and like, oh, yeah. that too. you just have so much knowledge. Oh, thanks. Like, thanks. Thanks. I, yeah, I definitely can talk about those things for a long time. Um, and uh, the cultural competence piece is definitely where I get the most excited and um, also recognizing, right? Like I don't, I still have so much to learn. So I don't even, I, to be honest, I don't even, I'm not even crazy about the phrase cultural competence. It's like, I don't know, cultural awareness. Like there's always like a, a phrase coming out that, you know, feels, feels more reflective. So hopefully we're getting closer to something that feels a little bit more whole. Um, and I know that that's the word I'm going to have on my website, but like, you know, always trying to, to stay in the work learning. Yeah. Yeah, that's all we can. Honestly, that's part of why I teach uh, cultural humility. Cultural humility is the term that's being used a lot. I know mm-hmm. in the university, because <clears throat> it's this idea, just basically what you're talking about. Like I can't know everything, so coming, coming in curious, mm-hmm. but also not putting it on the other person to totally be my sole like teacher. Yes, about their culture. Yeah, um, right. Because even cause then, know, like they're yeah. the experts on themselves, right? Like they're they're the expert on their experience and we're here to learn from them about their experience and their life. And there's so much for us to, to learn. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again for being on. Yeah. Definitely would love to have you on sometime again soon. For sure. Thanks for having me, James. This is awesome. Thank you again to Crystal Fagan-Bush for sitting down with me and having this really important conversation, especially in this day and age. It's essential that we start having more of these open conversations around cultural competency, cultural humility, just being curious about another person's lived experience and understanding that it can be different from, from ours or even our preconceived notions around what this person might be like or what their lived experiences might be. And the mental health field is not immune to it, just like any other part of society. White supremacy, the patriarchy, uh, colonial mindset are ingrained in all of them. So by having these conversations and building more awareness, we're able to help dismantle these 
systems in all parts of society. Well, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Take care and see you next time.